The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. I invite you to take a copy of the Bible. Turn with me to Psalm 44. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, one under a chair in front of you. We're on page 470 uh, in the chair Bible. If you're paying attention to how we progress through the Psalms, you will notice that even though we took a few weeks and looked at 1 Corinthians around Easter, that I'm skipping chapters 42 and 43 this week. That's intentional. Uh, I typically preach straight through the exposition that I'm on on Mother's Day. I don't stop and do uh, a Mother's Day sermon, but I too try to be sensitive to the fact that as people show up on Mother's Day, there's some sermons that are hard. This would have been a very hard Mother's Day sermon. And so I decided to move it to today as we need to work through this together and to prepare our hearts. But I do want to tell you about the next two weeks. The next two weeks, I'll be looking at Psalm 42 and 43, and I'm going to use a phrase coined by Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor from London in the 20th century, that he called spiritual depression, that he based off of Psalm 42 and 43, why are you downcast, O my soul? So next week, we will look at what are the causes of spiritual depression. And then on Mother's Day, we'll look at what are the cures. How do we overcome having a downcast soul? Today, Psalm 44, as 42 and 43 are, is a psalm of lament, but this is a corporate lament. This is not a personal lament. This is something that we do together as God's people. And this can be a confusing psalm. Joseph is going to read it in just a moment. I want you to pay attention that it makes a distinct shift at verse 9 and another distinct shift at verse 23. We'll explain that more as we share the message. Would you stand? Psalm 44, to the choir master, I'm a school of the sons of Korah. Oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their sword did they win the land, nor by their own arms save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes. You have and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever, Selah. But you have rejected us and disgraced us, and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter, and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the dursen and scorn of those around us. 
You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples all the day long. My disgrace is before me, and my shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and the reveler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back nor our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are slaughtered as sheep to be, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping? O Lord, rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Father, in our times of desperation, in our times of hopelessness, in our times where we do not see you clearly, I pray that you would teach our hearts to cry out to you, to trust in you alone, to seek salvation no other place. For this is what we can know, that you are steadfast and you redeem those who trust in you. So God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you as faithful, even in the midst of hard circumstances. I pray that your word be made light to our eyes and to our path today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last Sunday in the message, I mentioned the situation that transpired last Resurrection Sunday in Sri Lanka. The death toll, now nearly 350 people who lost their life in a series of coordinated bombings directed at Christians who had gathered for Easter Sunday. Just to give you a little point of reference because I'm afraid of what's in some of your minds. You need to know that the majority population in Sri Lanka is Buddhist. The second largest population is Hindu. Then there are two minority populations. Just a little bit larger are the Muslim population and the smallest are Christians. So you would ask, why would Al-Qaeda target the smallest minority people? The answer is because they're Christians and in a desire to incite violence. In one village, one village, just outside of the major city, a village where mostly Christian people live. It's kind of typical in this part of the world that that Christians will live together. There's some safety in, in what they do. 120 people died in this village. AP posted an article that said, every home in this village is a funeral home. That as this reporter made his way through the village, there was a casket in every home. Now, I just want you to imagine, brothers and sisters, that that's us. That this week we'd have had to gather one home after another. These are your brothers and sisters. 
These are people who are suffering because they're believers. What do you do with this? What do you do with this kind of difficulty and this kind of tragedy? The answer is you lament. Let me define what I mean by the word lament, and I'm going to use Mark Brogop's definition. Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart, wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. That moment when we find ourselves in the midst of great difficulty and in our hearts we're wrestling between this reality of pain and God's promises. Here's my main thrust in this sermon. Though God's people face difficulties, so I'm saying we do, we are going to face difficulties. When God's people face difficulties, the Lord can be trusted to redeem his own. Now, I stand here and preach this sermon in 2019 to where I know by statistics that the majority of people who show up at a church want a, quote, positive message. What is rampant among churches in America is what is now being coined the prosperity gospel. It's, it's an American false religion that's got a little bit of Christianity mixed into it. And what the prosperity gospel refuses to deal with is difficulty. One of its prophets said this, and I quote him directly. No matter how many times you get knocked down, keep getting back up. God sees your resolve. He sees your determination. And when you do everything you can do, then God will step in to help you. That's not gospel. That's not Christianity. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps the helpless. That is the message of Christ. So we don't come with these platitudes, these false platitudes in the midst of difficulty. We come in the midst of difficulty and we lament. Now this psalm instructs us how to do it. It starts not with the question of lament or the cry of lament. It starts in a very different way. It starts by letting us know that God's people retell the deliverance of the Lord and trust him. This is the continual rhythm of who God's people are, that we are retelling over and over again how God has delivered us, and as a result, we trust him. It says, God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, and them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them, that is your people, you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but by your right hand and your arm. In other words, God wasn't waiting for them to do all they could do. God acted beyond them. In the light of your face, you delighted in them. So this link here is to the past. And it's saying that God's people have not been delivered because of how powerful they were and because they did great exploits. They were not their own gods. The Israelites came out of Egypt and entered Canaan even though they were a numerous people, their foes, both the Egyptians and then people in the land they were going, were far greater. 
Now let's remember who they were and what their training was. They were farmers and brickmakers. Yet they were pursued by the greatest army in the world. They had not learned to fight and how to do battle, but they gained victory over and over again, not by their number or by their power, not by their sword, but by the arm of God. That is the power of God. God speaking in, the, in Joshua 24, 12 says, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. That God even used the bees to go ahead of his people, to drive people out. So the end of the verse says, it was not by your sword or by your bow. Now this retelling, this remembrance causes the speaker on behalf of God's people, possibly the king, definitely a leader, to say, you are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Jacob is a reference to Israel. Though we push down our foes, through you we push down our foes, through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For I do not, for not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us from our foes and have put them to shame who hate us. In God we have continue, boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. Now this is an example of how God had instructed his people to be. If we look in Deuteronomy chapter seven, it says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God, set apart to God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples in the face of the earth, it is not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, but you were the fewest of all peoples. It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now this causes me to ask a question to us. To us as a church, Parkwood Baptists, to us as individual believers, as parents, as followers of Christ, are we retelling the deliverance of the Lord and trusting him? I am convinced of what I'm about to say, and I can be wrong. I think that the reason that the church is dying in the United States is not because of the rise of secularism. I think the church is dying in the United States because we've stopped retelling the story. We're living on assumptions. We assume that people know. We stand up in church and we assume a knowledge that may or may not be the case. We, we, we're so caught up in not being bored in something new that it's always gotta be different, 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 different. Listen, God has designed this to be told and to be retold. Parents, are, are you retelling to your children? Here's what. First Peter says, it sounds just like Deuteronomy 7. First Peter 2, you that are Christians, the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We say it in these two ways as a church. 
that the church is the family of the redeemed with a clear purpose. And that clear purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness, that is Christ the Lord, who has redeemed us through the cross and through the resurrection and has brought us into his marvelous light. We are to tell and to retell the redeeming work of Christ. The second way we say it is this. The family is the primary means of passing on the faith. Parents, if you are not telling the story in the context of your home, if you have another narrative that is driving your home, listen to me, your children will believe the narrative. Whatever it is, and there are all kinds of narratives that, that Christian families are choosing that are different from the story of the Scripture. We've got to tell and retell the story. Now, there's a lot to be said there, but I'm going to pause and I'm going to ask a question. Don't answer out loud. Does retelling the promise, does retelling the story of redemption as a church and a family Faithfulness to retelling, does that mean that we'll be free of difficulty? That we won't face hardship? Now you hear me here. I think some of you believe that. It's down here just underneath the surface. Because when difficulty comes, you start asking questions. And I'm not belittling you. I'm, I'm trying to pastor and be helpful to you is that you'll say things like this. I've said these things. Well, I tried to be faithful as a parent. We tried to do the right thing here as a church. But why has this happened? Brothers and sisters, retelling does not keep us from difficulty. What retelling does is to give us something to stand on that we stand on the promises of God, that we trust him when the difficulty comes. And you notice what I just said, when. We live in a broken, fallen world. And we as Christians are affected by this broken, fallen world. So what do we do when it comes? The second move, and you see it's quite a drastic move in verse 9 that God's people bring their present confusion and complaint before the Lord. Now, some of you, and you rightly should be reacting to the word complaint. Well, my parents taught me not to complain. <laughs> we got a saying in our house, you complain, you'll turn into Cinderella. Y'all do the math on that. Complaining is not to be God's people. But there are times when we bring our complaint. Now, how do I know this? Because I see it right here in the psalm. Here's what you have in verses 9 all the way through verse 22. You've got this unresolved conflict that we go through as believers. God's sovereignty and the presence of pain. How do these two things go together? If God is in charge, if God is sovereign over all things, how is it that I, that we are suffering here? Now I want you to just glance through the verses at how many of them begin with the phrase, you have. 
This is an acknowledgement of what God has done. This sounds very much like the book of Job. You have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe. In other words, we've retreated. And those who hate us have gotten our spoil. They've plundered us. You have made us like sheep for slaughter. Many of us have died. You have scattered us among the nations. Many are in exile. You have sold your people. Not only are they in exile, they've been sold for a trifle. That means literally no wealth, demanding no high price for them. They've been sold into slavery. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors and the derision scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and avenger. These people are more than defeated. They are demoralized. And they're saying, God, you've, you've done this. Why? Now, if you study the Old Testament, the narrative of the Old Testament, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find when God's people are living in covenant with God, or obeying God, God is blessing them, and when they would sin and go after other gods, God would give them over. Now, here's what the psalmist is saying. That's not happening here. The reason that we've been defeated here is not because of, of the fact that we've turned aside. He says, all this has come upon us and we have not forgotten you. We have not been false to your covenant. Our heart is not turned back, nor our steps departed from your way. You have broken us in the place of jackals, the place of ruin. Here's, here's an image for you. Remember in the Lion King where the hyenas are? Place of the bones? That's what he's talking about here. This desolate place of death. You've broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would God not discover this? Saying, we, we haven't done this. God would know it. Why? For he knows the secrets of the heart. They're perplexed here. What? We know we've done it before that we've gone after other gods and we've, we've sinned and gone against you, but here we haven't. Why? Verse 22. It starts to open up right here. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now this psalm does not develop it. We're about to go where the Bible develops it. But here's what it infers and implies. This revolutionary thought that suffering sometimes is a battle scar rather than punishment. For your sake. For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We are identifying ourselves with the Lord. And sometimes, at some places, when you identify yourself with the Lord, it brings adverse consequences, as is happening for most Christians in the world alive today. Why would this happen? Jesus said it would. 
In Isaiah 53, this language of verse 22 shows up. It's describing Christ, the coming Messiah. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter. Christ, in his utter innocence, was killed on our behalf. So why do we suffer? We suffer for his sake. Now I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 contains verse 22. So what you have here is an explanation of what the sons of Korah are explaining to us in Psalm 44. Verse 31, what shall we say to these things? Now the question is, what are these things? The answer is over in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time. So the sufferings for being a Christian. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also with him, not also with him, bring, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Then he asks this question. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Now what's the implication of this verse? The implication of this verse, and history proves it out, that God's people have and will suffer tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. Why? Verse 36, for as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This is who we are. But this is where I live, in good old Gastonia, North Carolina. And this is how Christians respond around here. Hey, brother, how you doing? Best you ever seen. Great. Where has the ability to express ourselves like Psalm 44 gone? Why are we so afraid to admit lament? Let me go back to the prophet of prosperity. Listen to this nonsense. Start calling yourself happy, healed, whole, blessed, prosperous. Stop talking to God about your mountains and start telling your mountains to move. Folks, that's frightening. Who's God in that equation? You are. That is anti-Bible. That is false. And that kind of influence is everywhere. This power of positive thinking, just speak it into reality. That's not what the Bible teaches you to do. 
The Bible teaches you to bring your present confusion and complaint before the Lord. So my question is, are we? Are we doing that? Are we bringing this honest cry of a hurting heart, wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness? I can promise you this. This morning in Sri Lanka, they're not getting together going, great, best you ever seen. No, here's what they're doing. They're doing Psalm 10.1 this morning. Why? Why, oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in the times of trouble? Why? Why has this happened? Now, listen to me carefully. You miss this truth. You've misheard my preaching and the message of Psalm 44. Bringing your confusion and your complaint before the Lord is right and should be done. But you must not get stuck here. Here's what I found pastorally, and I'm pastoring you here. I'm not being hateful. Some of you like your pain. And you like to live there. We need to be honest with our pain. We need to be honest with our difficulty, but we're not to be stuck there. So what do you do then? Here's what we do. God's people cry to the Lord to rise up and redeem his own. Verse 23. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us. Now, Psalm 121, verse 4, teaches that God never sleeps. But that does not hinder this psalm from speaking in terms as if God has done so. Remember Jesus and his disciples get in the boat? This is in Mark chapter 4. And they're going across to the other side. And it's been a long day of ministry. And Jesus, because he's fully God and fully man, he goes to sleep. And he's dead. He's out. A storm hits. Now remember, these guys have been fishermen their whole life on the Sea of Galilee. They know what a storm is like. They freak. They think they're dying. (laughs) So they wake Jesus up. And they basically say the same thing as Psalm 44, 23. Teacher, do you not care that we're dying? Don't you care? Wake up and do something. Back to Psalm 44. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. That means we're as good as dead. These people can't get any more humbled. And they have prostrated themselves to the ground. They don't have the power to rise up. But in prayer, they cry. And here's the cry. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Ransom us. Buy us back. The appeal here is to the steadfast, covenantal, undeserved, unmerited love of God. Now this is exactly what Paul does in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. This is exactly where he goes. As he comes out of the question or the statement, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Then in verse 37 he says this, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure That neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, 
nor depth, nor anything else from all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That that knowledge, that there is nothing ever that's going to separate us from the covenantal keeping love of God in Christ Jesus toward us, that's why we cry. So here's my question. Are we crying to the Lord to rise up and redeem his own? As I collect myself and what I'm about to say, I'm not trying to be in any way belittling or mean to anyone. But because of the effect of the prosperity gospel and because you're Americans, some of you are more tore up in prayer that God's going to give you something else than you are for the pain that you endure. In fact, I think some of you think if you just get a new car and a new house, your pain would go away. It's definitely what's destroying marriages. As men and women think a new wife or a new husband, it'll, it'll, it'll get rid of the pain. No, it won't. Something new will never solve the whole. Our hope is in the Lord. It's in him alone. And when we come to these places of confusion, despair, we come to him and we cry. Rise up. Come to our help. you need to know that in our church is a young couple, Dylan and Heather Simmons, and their little baby, Remy, has a blood disease, and she has to have a bone marrow transplant. Heather and Remy are in Cincinnati this morning for their first round of tests and preparation. They will return there, and that mother and that child will have to stay in isolation for months. Months. Why? In this church are Dylan's parents and his five brothers and sisters, and his grandparents, some of them are seated over here to my right right now. But we're his family too. They don't just need our pat. They need us to lament with them. To cry to God with them. In our last service, seated right toward the front, Joel and Libby Ammons, their eight-year-old grandson, Asher, a brain tumor is ravaging this child. His own words last week, this is torture. Why? We must cry out to God with them. We must cry out to God on their behalf. You say, okay, okay, preacher. Here's why I get so freaked out in what you're talking about. I don't know what to do. I don't either. 
after the last service, a brother and sister came up to me. It'll be 12 years tomorrow that their son fell off a mountain. And I had forgotten. The moment I walked up to him, I didn't say anything. He cried. Why am I preaching this sermon? I'm preaching this sermon for two reasons. Number one, it's in the Bible, and I don't skip. Number two, we've got to learn to lament. In this little book, Mark Brogop says, to cry is human, to lament is Christian. We bring something that the rest of the world doesn't have. They don't know what to do. It's not that we are divorced from pain and that we're divorced from difficulty. We have hope in the midst of it. You say, well, I don't know how to pray for them. I don't either. But this is also in Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is in the context of suffering. That when we're suffering, we don't know what to say. The Spirit of God intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We'll go back to the first service. One of the gentlemen in our church, I've never seen him show emotion ever. He came to me, he couldn't even speak. He finally said this to me. My wife doesn't know my name. What'd I do? I just grabbed him. He didn't need a platitude from me. It's not what he needed. We are the family of God. Now, you can say, well, I came for something positive today. Whoo! You missed it, preacher. Hear me. I love you when I say this. I missed it on purpose. I've learned something in all my years of doing what I do. There's a whole lot more pain in this room that will ever be told. There's far more suffering that's ever been uttered. And some of you are carrying some weight that's just way too heavy for you. Here's what you need to do. You need to cry to God. Ransom us. Save us. Save me. According to your steadfast love. You see the difference of that prayer? Too long I prayed this way. God, don't you see what I've done? I've tried my best. Help me out here. That's not why we pray. God. According to who you are. This doesn't make sense to me. According to who you are, work. Now I want to call us to prayer. I want you to put your stuff down. And I'm just going to trust here the church to be the church. If you're new here and you don't know someone, you don't know anybody here, 
Right over here, Casey, he just came up and read, one of our pastors right over here in the corner. While, while we're praying, if you don't have anybody to pray with you, Pastor Casey can pray with you. Also, Joseph, who stood and read scripture, he's available. If you need somebody to pray for you right now while we sing, I want you to ask them to come and to kneel here and to pray with you, or maybe just pray where you're at. Let's practice what we've heard on two levels. You ready? Two levels. We're gonna retell the story when we sing. We're gonna retell it. And at the same time, we're gonna cry. So let's cry to the Lord and retell the story at the same time. Father, I pray now as we come that you would move among us. Holy Spirit, that you would bring to light, bring to heart that which is necessary that the broken would be prayed with and prayed for. And Lord, that you would come and receive our cry as we remind each other again of the greatness of who you are and the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bless now as we sing in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.